And here we have a cameo in Matthew's gospel of himself, an autobiographical reference. And it's interesting the way that Matthew uses this autobiographical reference to his own conversion to teach a, a larger point. And we're going to dive into it this morning. So let's pray, commit our time to Jesus. Lord, um, beautiful morning. It's the morning you've made. We want to rejoice. We want to be glad in it. Thank you, Father, for um, allowing us, giving us um, the capacity to study your word. And Lord, we know that when we, we study the word, when we hear your voice, we're hearing you. Lord, you told Samuel, you appeared to Samuel by the word of the Lord, and you're appearing to us this morning by your word. And so, Lord, give us wisdom, discernment, guide us from your Holy Spirit as we unpack this amazing, amazing chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, you see that this is Matthew's uh, insertion into the story. It talks about his conversion. He was a tax collector, one of the most hated professions and group of people in all of Israel. They were right up there with, you always hear the Pharisees talk about tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners typically in that order. They were traitors in the eyes of the countrymen, his own countrymen, Israel. They were The tax collectors were hired by the Roman authorities to confiscate monies, taxes, and oftentimes the way that these um, these tax collectors would make above and beyond is that they would they would extort, they would raise the prices, they would skim off the top. It was kind of what was expected. They were the loan sharks of the day. And so they were mightily detested. And here we see Jesus um, having this encounter with Matthew. Matthew is converted, he's following Jesus. And in typical fashion, and we see this over and over, um, in the Gospels, that when someone was converted, particularly someone who was on the outside of culture, outside of society, who had been ostracized because of their profession or their sinful lifestyle, these are the people who know and experience their need for grace in a profound way. And we see one of their first impulses to, is to always invite their fellow sinners and to talk about their conversion and to introduce them to Jesus. And this is what Matthew does in Matthew 9. He he comes and there is all of these these cast of misfit toys. If you remember that Christmas special, and you've got this, uh, uh, you know, again probably prostitutes, probably the outcasts of society, the poor. They're all gathering around um, to hear Matthew's testimony and to meet Jesus. And here the Pharisees are, and, and in typical fashion, they are, um, in, you know judging Jesus, judging Matthew, judging all those throughout the party, be kind of like you driving around FSU campus one weekend, finding one of your pastors or elders hanging out at the fraternity house. Your initial impulse would be, what are you doing here? This is wrong. You're associating with sinners, not knowing um, maybe that elder or pastor is there sharing the good news. They're going to the place where, where those who need Jesus the most are. And again, this is what, this is what Jesus was doing. And then he tells them something very interesting here. He tells, he says this to the, to the Pharisees, verse four, why do you think evil in your hearts for which is easier to, I'm sorry, I got the wrong, got the wrong verse. Let me go down to verse 12. Okay. When he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, 
Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, um, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? Well, he's, he's holding up a mirror to the scribes and the Pharisees um, to kind of show them who they really are in these kind of situations. So he's saying, look, we have sinners, we have tax collectors, people who, who, who know they're messed up. They're coming to me. They're coming to God for, for forgiveness, for healing, for mercy. Um, and yet you are, you are rendering judgment upon them. You're more interested in, in attuning yourself to the finer points of the law, and you think that earns you stead. But no, rather, um, you should be showing mercy and the, because these are repentant sinners. Now, the fact that the religious leaders weren't showing mercy communicated something much deeper about their hearts. The fact that they weren't showing mercy for those in need communicates to us that they didn't perceive their own need for mercy and for grace, right? This is why Jesus tells them, I, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. I have, if you don't think you're sick, you have no need of a physician, right? And, and he's holding up this mirror to them to say, the reason my mercy and grace seem so offensive to you is that you don't understand that you yourself stand in that same position of needing mercy and grace. And, and they, they, as they, they had never really, I think this is a way to say it, understood the evil in their hearts, right? Who they really are, who we are, really are as human beings. You know, Flannery O'Connor um, has a very famous quote, one of her novels, where she says, the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. And what, what does that mean? The way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Well, if you never take time to reflect upon the depths of your heart, your struggles, who you are, you're never going to perceive your need for Jesus. And, and those who don't have a need for Jesus it's probably because they don't have a high degree of self-awareness of, of the corruption and the sin and the darkness in their own hearts. But paradoxically, in the gospel, it's as we look in our hearts, as we see our brokenness, we see our, um, our sinfulness and our corruption, we know we need mercy and grace, and we come to Jesus. And the way they were avoiding God was by avoiding their own Sin and so this is so. So Matthew is using um, his own testimony to communicate this profound truth about every person's need for the gospel. So that that's one prominent feature of Matthew nine. Another prominent feature is that we see a whole host of physical miracles. Okay, um, in this chapter, and remember, these are not necessarily. Um, all the things Jesus did, and they're not necessarily in a strict chronological order, but what they're doing is that Matthew is bringing them all to, to, to bear upon this central idea that it's the needy, it's the unrighteous, it's the unwell who most perceive their need for a Savior. And we're going to see this in the way that Jesus does physical miracles, and all of them relate to some sort of infirmity in the body. So we see him healing a paralytic, I mean, someone who's been paralyzed. We see him raising uh, from the dead a young girl of a, of a, of a local leader. 
Uh, there's a woman who has a medical issue of blood and Jesus heals her. There's two men who are born blind um, and Jesus heals them. There is a, um, a, a mute man who's possessed by demons. Jesus heals him. Now, it's very easy for us to get fixated on the wrong things when we think about the healings of Jesus. We tend to think that, and this is probably very much because of the secular, spiritual, uh, materialistic world that we live in, where physical health or physical life is the highest good. And you can see that going on in our current uh, political, cultural context as it relates to this coronavirus, right? Um, and we tend to think that because of that, the goal of what Jesus is doing is healing. That's, that's his goal. And that faith or prayer or seeking God, that is simply the means by which people are healed or people get what they are most um, uh, earnestly desiring, okay? And Matthew, though, flips this around. And if we look at this passage carefully, what we see is that that healing is not the primary thing that's happening here. Faith is the primary thing that's happening here. In other words, faith is the goal, and healing is just simply one means that Jesus is using to communicate who he really is. And so we see this progression, and we'll look at this, where Matthew shows us Jesus and the power of God. He is able to forgive sins. He is able to um, heal from disease. And then as a result of this, there is faith born on the part of the people. So in other words, the focus here is not on the healings for Matthew. The focus is on Jesus. So look at verses uh, 2 and 3, for example. He says, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So in other words, faith comes first. Jesus forgives this person's sins. This person is coming to Jesus, not merely for healing, although certainly not less than that, but they're coming to him because they believed in him, who he was, um, what he was saying, what he was doing. They saw in him the power of God. Look down in verse 18. And while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has died has just died, but come and lay hands on her and she will live. Um, and he, if you go, if you, if you follow this down, um, along the way, this woman comes and wants to grab hold of his garment for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus says, take heart, heart daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. It is her faith in Christ for who he was, what he did, how he was working, her belief that the reason he, she could be healed was because he was God, because he was Messiah. This, in fact, was active faith happening in her life, okay? Um, look down at verse 27 and 28. We see the same thing here. And as Jesus passed on from there, um, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yes, Lord, we do. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. So again, Matthew's painting this picture for us. Jesus is not this uh, spiritual magician. He's not simply going around willy-nilly, 
uh, trying to demonstrate um, and amaze people by his healing powers, what's happening is that he's always using healings to, to, to show and demonstrate who he is, his power that he is the chosen Messiah, and that because of that, um, he has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to heal. And all of these miracles are meant to draw the reader's gaze back to Jesus, not back to the healings per se. I mean, God heals sometimes. He doesn't heal in other times. But, but Jesus in the Gospels is always healing. One is a demonstration of the fact that his kingdom is coming, a demonstration of his power and who he is, so that people might come to true faith in him. And so what we see all over this chapter from start to finish, Four Oaks, is the gospel. We see the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus, needy people in need of mercy and grace. And then Jesus, by displaying himself, generating, drawing people to himself, generating faith in their hearts. And so should it be for us that we want to be um, in a pattern, in a mindset in our lives, that we're not simply coming to Jesus as the genie in the bottle to fix all of our problems. We are, in fact, first and foremost, desperately needful for him, his mercies, his grace, uh, to cover our sins. And as we come to him for who he is, for who he's revealed himself to be, that in that process, God brings real spiritual healing to our hearts. That's the most fundamental work that he can do to generate faith. Sometimes he gives us physical healing, right? Many times he does not. Um, but the, the, because, I mean, let's be, let's be honest, all of these people in this passage go on to die, right? They go on to die. Physical healing is always for a momentary moment of time, whether it's for a, a, a few moments, a year, um, decades, but ultimately we know death calls for everyone, which means our greatest need, this is what Matthew's telling us, is for Jesus, his forgiveness, and the eternal life he bestows upon us. So that is Matthew chapter 9. Tomorrow, which will be our last devotional of the week until next Monday, will be in Matthew chapter 10, the 12 apostles and their ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we know that it is the sick, it's the needy, it's the unrighteous that need a doctor. And Lord, that's who we are. And Lord, we pray that you would continually open our eyes to our need for you, for mercy and grace. And Lord, if our, if our hearts are not merciful towards others, um, it might be an indication that we don't know how much we ourselves are in need and dependent upon your own mercy. So Lord, we, we pray that we would seek you out for who you are today. That just like Matthew, we would not let our sin keep us from you, but knowing that your grace covers over all of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Four Oaks. Have a great day.